Thank you, Paul and Anna. And uh, hey, Andrew and Stephanie. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you, Paul and Anna. And uh, thank you, musicians. Um, thank you, Jason. Your arm's very, so very weary now, isn't it? So you can have a rest, get you back for the final uh, hymn. And uh, uh, thank you, choir, for singing so well this evening. Uh, it really was a blessing to be able to uh, sing together. <clears throat> I have some voice left uh, to uh, share. Please take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2, which is where we had our reading. Um, thank you to those who uh, brought the readings to us. We have uh, sung quite a few Christmas carols this evening, and we could have sung more. But uh, right now I want us to consider... <clears throat> Uh, just in a few moments, I want us to consider what might be termed um, thinking about the first Christmas carol. The first Christmas carol which was sung by the angels the night that Christ was born. I hope you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> the uh, record of the angelic praise is just very brief. Their words were few and yet they're full of meaning. If you look at verse 13, Luke chapter 2 verse 13 says, And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and here's, here's the first Christmas carol. The angel sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels were singing about Jesus who was uh, born and laid in a manger. And I want you to notice that it was one angel that announced this good news to the shepherds. Go back to verse 9. It says, And lo, the angel, singular, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day. Okay, it happened on a day. A day in history. Not a day in some mythological or imaginary story but a real day in history chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 said it was when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome and when Cyrenius was governor of Syria it happened on a real day in history it was planned before the creation of the world but Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that when the fullness of time was come when the time was absolutely right and the day, the exact day had arrived, on that day, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. It happened on a day. In the fullness of time, God's perfect time, appointed by God before the foundation of the world. Notice the angel continued. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. It happened on a day, it happened in a city. A real city. Not Narnia. Not Middle Earth. Not in the galaxy far away. It happened in a city about 1,400 kilometres from here. That city still exists today. With my own eyes, I've seen it from a distance. The city is real. Its name is Bethlehem. It's about 10 kilometres from Jerusalem. It's the city where David, the king of Israel, grew up. It's the city that Micah prophesied about 500 years before Christ. The prophet Micah says, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, 
Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. It happened in a city, a real city, like, like we live in. The angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour. If you have ever sinned against God, if you've ever disobeyed God, if you've ever disappointed God, if you've ever failed God in any way, then you need a saviour. And the angel said to Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Only God can forgive sin against God. That's why the Father sent his Son. God the Father sent God the Son into the world because God the Son is God. Son of God took on flesh. He became the Son of Man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. And that's why Jesus was able to say that he, the Son of Man, hath power on earth to forgive sins. Sinners like us need a saviour. Therefore a saviour was born. The angel said, who is Christ the Lord? Christ is an English word, which is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. The Hebrew word for that is Messiah. This long predicted one, this long awaited one, this anointed one, the one who was anointed above all others, the final anointed king, the final anointed prophet, the final anointed priest, in him. All the promises and prophecies of God are fulfilled. All the hopes and dreams of God's people are fulfilled in Christ. And more than that, vastly more. Because he's also not just Christ, he's also the Lord. Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. The, the master, the ruler of the universe. The absolute Lord and master of the universe. The angels just said, he's just been born. It happened on a day in real history. It happened on the city in this real world. A saviour was born to take away our guilt. He is Christ to fulfil all of our hopes. He is the Lord to take control. Make us safe and satisfied forever. And when the angel had announced this good news to the shepherds. And pointed them toward the saviour where the Christ child lay. Verse 13 says. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Suddenly an army of angels appeared in the sky. Evidently one angel can announce the news. But it doesn't suffice for one angel to respond to the news. The meaning of the news and the ultimate outcome of the news demands an army of angels. And they sang together of Christ and of his salvation which he came into the world to provide. And what they said of this salvation was this, verse 14. They said, first, it gave glory to God. Second, it gave peace to man. And thirdly, it gave an expression of God's goodwill towards the human race. There are three phrases there in the first Christmas carol. And I'd like for us to consider each of those phrases this evening. First, they said that this salvation gives glory to God. Now the scripture tells us on numerous occasions that the angel sounds forth the praises of God. They were present there at creation. The book of Job tells us 
that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy when God laid the foundation of the earth. We read the book of Isaiah chapter 6. We see the heavenly angelic beings around about God's throne perpetually singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And no doubt they have often chanted, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, acknowledging God's sovereign rule over the universe. There are numerous occasions when we see in the scriptures the angels praising God. But this time, when they saw God stoop from his throne to become a babe, they lifted up their praises even higher than ever before, reaching the highest note of the divine scale of praise. They sang glory to God in the highest, for higher in goodness God could not go. And they gave their highest praise to God for this greatest of all acts. What do we learn from this first phrase of the angel's song? Certainly it is this. That the provision of God's salvation, the God's provision of salvation is his highest glory. God is glorified, is he not, in, in every drop of dew that twinkles in the morning sun. God is magnified, is he not, in every flower that blooms in the garden. God is exalted in every bird that sings on the breeze. Don't we read in Psalm 149 that the creatures of the sea praise him. The tiny minnow, the huge whale... Creatures in the water, don't they declare, the scripture says, the wonderful works of God. Don't the stars in the heavens praise him? With the exception of sinful man, don't all things created give praise and testimony to the greatness of our God? The whole universe sings forth the Lord's praise and will continue to do so until it exalts, exhausts itself, but it can never sing a song so sweet as the song of the incarnation. Though creation is a majestic organ of praise, it cannot reach the heights of this hallelujah that we find in the incarnation. More than in the creation is praise to God in the incarnation. There's more melody in Jesus in the major than all the sounding forth of praise that we seek in the, other, in the created universe. We see every attribute of God demonstrated here. We see God's wisdom here at this moment. God becomes a man to die in the guilty sinner's place so that God can be just and the justifier of those that believe in Jesus. One birth via a virgin. One life lived sinlessly. One death upon the cross. One sacrifice for all sin. One saviour for all mankind. One simple condition. So that all can receive it, one simple condition. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This is the message of salvation. Off a door, we see the wisdom of God here. We see God's power here. What power that the Godhead would unrobe itself of all its glory and take upon himself humanity. Humanity. What power that the omnipotent God could be contained in a baby. That the greatest demonstration of power, that is the salvation of the world, would be achieved through the birth of a tiny infant. What concentration of power that the God who fills the universe would dwell within a tiny baby. God's love is here in all of its fullness as never seen before. Never before has one so holy endured so much humiliation and yielded up his life for a race so sinful 
And yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's faithfulness is here. How many prophecies were fulfilled on this day? How many promises did God keep on this day? How many solemn obligations were discharged at this hour? God's holiness is here. The angel said unto Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary was his mother, God was his father. From his mother he received a human body. From his father he received a sinless nature, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. When Jesus asked, which of you convinceth me of sin? Everyone was silent. Even his most vicious enemies had nothing to say. And in the end, they nailed him to a cross, not for anything that he did, but because of who he was. God's grace is here. God's unmerited favour towards us. It's interesting that there is no traditional Christmas narrative about the birth of Christ in the Gospel of John. Remember how the Gospel of John begins. Chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is the way that John describes his Christmas story. But then we come down to verse 14. It says an interesting thing. It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He says, and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the, of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus becoming flesh was the embodiment of grace. God's unmerited favour towards us in human form. God's mercy is here. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Herod wanted to kill him. Years later, the Jews did kill him. The Romans did kill him. Humanity did kill him. If there was anyone who deserved hell and judgment, it was us. If there was anyone who didn't deserve a saviour, it was us. And yet in his abundant mercy, the Father sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. And as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the children of God. God's long-suffering is here. He's long-suffering towards to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And patiently, he has endured man's rejection until in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those that were under the law. And even today, today is a day of salvation. Such is the mercy of God extended towards all those who will receive it tell me one moral attribute of God that is not manifest in Jesus and I will gently remind you that it's only your ignorance which sees it so the heavens declare the glory of God the firmament showeth the work of his hand but in Jesus Christ we see what's really in God's heart the whole of God is glorified in Jesus Christ and though some parts of God's character are evident in nature, it is here we read that God the Son became the Son of Man. No wonder the heavenly, heavenly angels couldn't help but appear unto men, lifting up their voices and proclaiming glory to God in the highest. Paul speaks about the incarnation. He says, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the, in the flesh. And yes, it is a great mystery to our minds. 
There is no greater miracle, nor is there any greater cause of praise, certainly to these angelic minds, than the birth of Christ. And God is with us. No wonder there have been thousands of Christmas carols written to praise it. But let's come to that second phrase. After they'd sung this first phrase, they then sang, I think, something they'd never sung before. In one way, glory to God was an old, old song. They had rehearsed that from the foundation of the world. But now they sang, as it were, a new song. For they added this stanza, on earth, peace. They didn't sing about that at the creation of the world. They didn't sing about that in the Garden of Eden. There was peace then, but it was such a normal thing, it was hardly worth noting. There was more than peace then. The glory of God was there then. But man has fallen into sin. And since that day, the angels, the cherubim, with flaming swords, they drove men, Adam and Eve, out from the Garden. And since then, there's been no peace on earth except in the hearts of believers who have obtained peace by trusting in the Lord. Wars have raged from the ends of the earth. Men have slaughtered one another heaps upon heaps. There's been wars within and wars without. Conscience has fought with man. Satan has tormented man with thoughts of sin. There has been no peace on earth since Adam fell. If you look at Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it mentions Caesar Augustus. This was the day when Rome ruled the world. The Romans, for all their trumpeted Pax Romana, the Roman peace, they constantly had to fight to impose it. It lasted as long as it did because of the ruthlessness with which the Romans waged war. And some of you might recall Napoleon's cynical statement, if you want peace, then prepare for war. But now, when this newborn king makes his appearance, the angels herald his arrival as a proclamation of peace. What kind of peace? Salvation peace. They weren't just singing about comfort of mind or rest of spirit, but about salvation, about peace with God, enmity with God, that estrangement from God which can be, is the result of sin. That, that, that's dealt with now. Reconciliation between estranged parties, reconciliation is now possible. God no, no, no longer is at enmity with us, nor we with him, because reconciliation has come. The swaddling bands with which Mary wrapped the baby, they were like a white flag of peace. The manger, that was the place where the treaty was signed. Friends, do you know, do you understand? That the gospel of Jesus Christ means peace to man. And where else can peace be found in the world except through the good news about Jesus Christ? Perhaps you're a legalist trying to make your peace with God through your own toil, through your own efforts, through your own good works, but you'll never make it. Maybe you're trusting in your own good works, trying to keep God's law, trying to keep God's commandments, trying to please God by your own efforts and go to Mount Sinai where the law was given. And what do we see there? We see Moses in fear and trembling with all the people, trembling and despairing. There was, wasn't peace found there. 
Peace is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ who kept the law perfectly for us. Peace is found in the one who is the Prince of Peace. And friends, what a peace it is. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that passes all understanding that keeps, that guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Peace like a river that flows full or grows deeper every day. Sacred peace between the pardoned soul and God the pardoner. This marvellous reconciliation, God and sinners reconcile. Reconciliation between the sinner and the judge. And this is what the angels sang about. This is all possible now. This peace on earth. Now we who know our Bibles and understand something about Bible prophecy, we know that there are some global aspects to this peace which lie in the future when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Then will the earth be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or as Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end then. But Jesus came the first time to inaugurate that peace among those who will receive him as their Saviour and Lord today. Jesus says to those who will believe and trust in him, he said, let not your heart be troubled. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And then thirdly, the angels wisely ended their song with this third note, this third phrase. They said, goodwill towards men. God has goodwill toward men. You know, there are some in the scientific fraternity who see no clear evidence for evolution but they see plenty of evidence for what they call intelligent design. But they stop short of acknowledging a personal God. Certainly they don't acknowledge a God who has goodwill towards us. And there's no salvation for them. In their understanding that there's a creator of intelligence, tremendous intelligence. They don't see a personal God who has goodwill towards them. There's even been some wise and learned men of past generations who have thought that they have seen in creation that God does have goodwill towards us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made the creation so adapted for our comfort. But I've never heard anyone base the assurance of his salvation upon that acknowledgement. And yet I've heard of thousands and I know many people who are quite sure that God has goodwill towards them and you, and you ask them the reason why and they will give you a full and a perfect answer. They understand God has goodwill towards me because he gave his son for me. He gave his son so that I could be forgiven of my sin. And no greater proof do we need of the kindness of God towards us, the graciousness, the goodwill of God towards us in knowing that he sent his son to die upon the cross so that we might be saved and delivered from our sins. The first note of the angel song gives glory to God. The second note is about peace. The third note is, I think, the one that moves my heart the most. You know, I usually type... My sermons, my sermon notes these days. And as I was typing this message, I made a mistake. I made a spelling mistake. I left off the, the letter N on the word men. <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards me. I made a spelling mistake. But there was something that was profoundly true theologically. Profoundly true, factually true. 
The Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of me. You know, some think of God as if he was some morose being with hatred for all mankind. Some picture him as if he was some abstract subsistence taking no interest in our affairs. But listen to the heavenly messengers. They say, they say, they know God has good will towards men. And you know what goodwill means? It means God is kindly disposed towards you. God desires your happiness. God desires your satisfaction. God desires your joy. You know, foul and offensive language is commonplace today. And maybe you're among those who have actually cursed God. And yet God hasn't pronounced a curse upon you. He has goodwill towards you. Even though you may not have any goodwill towards him. To the arrogant agnostic. Perhaps you've sinned with a high and hard hand against God. And yet God today looks upon you. And this is a day of grace that he extends towards you. You've said hard things against him. But he offers you salvation. He offers you forgiveness. His words of peace. Goodwill towards you. Maybe you have broken God's laws in a big, big way. And you're half afraid to approach unto the throne of mercy. Lest God turn away from you. Hear this and be comforted. God has good will towards you. So good a will. That he has said. And he said with an oath too. As I live saith the Lord. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. So good a will has God towards us that he's condescended to come to us and say, come now, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And if you say, Lord, how should I know that you have good will towards me? He points to the manger and says, if I had not good will towards you, would I have parted with my son? If I had not good will towards you, would I have given up my son to become one of this race and in so doing provide a redemption from eternal destruction? You that doubt the master's love. Look at the circle of angels here. See their blaze of glory. Hear their song and let your doubts die away in the sweet music. God has good will towards men. He's willing to pardon he is willing to pass by iniquity, transgression and sin. He is willing and he is able. And he will surely do it if you will come to him. But therein lies the issue. Therein lies the issue. You know, years, about 33 years after this, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, how often... I would have gathered your children together even as a hen doth gather her chicken under her wings and you would not. I was willing. I wanted to do that, but you would not. I was willing, but you were, you were not. And here the angels rejoice of God's goodwill towards men. And yet Jesus weeps over the unwillingness of people to respond to him. Won't you rejoice the heart of Jesus? Rather than calling him to weep by your continual unwillingness, won't you rejoice the heart of Jesus tonight by receiving him as your saviour? Won't you come to Christ and receive Christ as your 
saviour tonight. You know the Bible tells us that there's joy in the presence of the angel over one sinner that repents. Why is that? It's because for every sinner that repents and every sinner that enters into heaven, the angels of heaven, they know what, what, what was done in order that that might be achieved. They were there when the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour. They, they were there at the beginning of it all, so to speak. And to see the, the, the work of God providing salvation for the world, to see it successfully accomplished in the salvation of a soul, the angels in heaven rejoice over that. They see the end result of the incarnation. They see the work accomplished. You know, Christmas is the season for gift giving. It's a tradition that we have. I think it's a good tradition. And I think part of it grew out of the fact that there were wise men came and they brought gifts and presented gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and we sang about that this evening. But more significant, of course, is the gift that God gave us the gift of his son. And the question tonight, are you willing to receive it? Are you willing? He's willing to offer it. Okay? We, we know what God has done in order to provide it for you. He wants you to have it. He's, he's, he is willing. He has goodwill towards you. He wants you to be saved. He's given his, his son to you as a gift in order that you might be saved. If, if you're willing to receive it. If you're willing to receive it. You know, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It is unspeakable in its value. We, we cannot begin to describe the wonder of Christ and his salvation for us. And perhaps you feel unworthy to receive it. Well, number one, join the club. But number two, that's not the point. It's not a reward for goodness. It's a gift. It's a gift you don't deserve a gift. The gift is a gift. And none of us are worthy. But to unworthy sinner, God offers the gift of salvation, the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all unworthy. All of us here are unworthy, but I hope we're not all unwilling to receive salvation. I know that many have received the Lord Jesus Christ and are rejoicing in their salvation this evening. But it may be that we have one or two, perhaps three or four tonight here who haven't yet received the gift of salvation. To this moment you've refused. You said, no, not for me, not for me. I'm, I'm not willing to receive it. Hope, hopefully tonight would be the night when you have a change of heart about that. We call it repentance. No longer refusing God's grace, but humbly receiving it. This is our hope and our prayer for you this evening. And this is why we preach. This is why we hold church services. This is why we sing to help get the message across. And the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world and he will save you tonight if, if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hope you'll do this. We pray that you'll do that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, what you've done for us. Lord, it's a remarkable thing. We love to read in the scriptures concerning the, the giving of your son. Thank you for the record of it there in the scriptures. I thank you that uh, in the scriptures is revealed to us the, the heart of God, the love that you have for us, the, 
the desire that you have that none would perish but that all should come to repentance. We, we see something, that the depths that you've gone to in order to provide the salvation. No, there's no other way. We couldn't do it ourselves. Only you could do it and you're willing to do it. You're willing to give your son to achieve our salvation. And uh, Lord, we exalt you for that. We praise you for that this evening. Lord, our prayer this evening is for some who perhaps haven't yet received Christ as their saviour. But Lord, I do pray that you'd open their eyes, help them to see, soften their hearts. Lord, may the word of God penetrate their hearts. Lord, even this evening. Uh, Lord, this is our prayer. Uh, we know this is what you desire. And Lord, I do pray that everyone in this building tonight would desire it as well. Please work this within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.